Today is Thursday, April 19th, 2018. Time for episode 50 of the Barnhart Podcast. It, it is Thursday, right? <laughs> yes, it's, yes. This has been one of the features of the last couple of weeks. I, I'm forgetting what day it is. Um, uh, Tuesday morning at, at, at work, I said, I was making my, my usual Monday joke saying, it's Monday morning, I'm awake, what more do you want? And they look at me and say, it's Tuesday. I'm like, oh, so much oh. for that. <laughs> Where's the coffee? Speaking of which, super nerd, what what's new in your world in the last two weeks? Um, I have a new baby girl. And, yes, um, that's what that's what we need to talk about today because everybody just wants to hear from you and hear about this uh, this event that has happened in your life. We in the pre show warm up, we were trying to figure out when we when we recorded the last podcast, and it was two weeks ago today, and then. A couple of days later after that, um, b- yes, big the, surprise in your life. It, the miracle of life and, and a miracle in many ways, not just the the um, euphemistic way of saying that every, every baby is a miracle, which is true. But some are more, you know, they're all equally miracles, but some are more equal than others. Mm-hmm. And and um, the, the way you've referred to her on the blog, which I, kind of surprised me that you even uh, were, were blogging about it at first, but uh, you, you refer to her as, her as Tiny Princess. So I'll, I'll just go with that name. You come up with better names for this than I, than I would. <laughs> I would probably well, we, we, we want to maintain everybody's uh, privacy and so forth. But on the other hand, this this is an amazing an amazing event and it needs to be talked about and and the graces you know i'm on obviously on your um email list of 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 people that you're sending updates to friends and family and so forth and thank you for that very much and um it's it's very clear that that this is a this is an event that um that is a conduit for for grace in the world, and so I think every and all of the readers out there. I mean, I've just been flooded and inundated with with supportive emails and people praying for you and so forth. I think a lot of them were going to the podcast address, but I think a lot of them came just to me, and I, I received a tremendous amount of emails from people saying, "Oh, praying for Super Nerd, praying for Super Nerd, praying for Super Mommy, praying for Tiny Princess, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. So if you don't mind, I mean, I think it's pretty pretty clear that that everybody just basically wants to hear from you on this first episode back and just um, have you share whatever it is that that you and super mommy are comfortable comfortable with sharing here on this format and I don't know maybe you'll save this audio recording and someday you can go back and you can listen to this and say oh that's what was that was what was going on two weeks after she was born so yeah, I'll just I, I'll just kind of kick it over to you if you want to kind of tell us tell us how it all happened and you know super mommy goes into into labor which was a little bit early and um, you take it from there. Yeah, I was we were expecting this to be a few weeks later than it than it turned out being. Um, we we figured to be the end of April, maybe even beginning of May. Um, you know, we that that's the typical timeline for for uh, the, our, our babies in the past and. Um, we're a little surprised that that labor started earlier. It wasn't premature; it was just early. So mm-hmm. we were able to still have the the birth at home, which we've we've had those before. That's that's no big deal there. But uh, and we had a professional midwife present for that, so she's you know super certified as well. I mean, you call me super nerd, but in in, in the medical sense, with with um, with um, giving birth uh, with moms at home, this this midwife has seen everything. Uh, mm-hmm. Actually, no, I, I will take that back. The one thing she hasn't seen was was this event. Yes, <laughs> but, but uh, she's she's hyper qualified. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, I I knew something was going to be a little bit well, okay, way off when um, when uh, right after the birth, I was told call nine one one right away. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. And uh, baby had uh, some obvious um, obvious problems. The biggest one was she, uh, she wasn't breathing, and and um, with so I called nine one one and and while I was giving them instructions on on where to find us, which you know is kind of redundant, they know where we are, but um, which, which that's a state that's a, a reference to um, uh, telephony and the fact that uh, back in nineteen ninety six, all cell phones had to have GPS built into them so that when you call nine one one, it transmitted your GPS position for the 911 system. So it's it's kind of redundant to have to tell them where you are, but they insist on that. Oh, you didn't call from a landline. I figured I figured you probably called from a landline or if people even have those anymore. I was going to say I haven't had a landline since 2002. Wow. Okay. Cool. Uh well, I'm not counting Skype, but that that doesn't count. Uh, mm, a, a, right, proper, right. a proper twisted pair um mm -hmm. copper AT&T landline. I haven't had one of those since 2002. Wow. Okay. But um so the, the midwife immediately begins uh, resuscitation, which she's eminently qualified in doing on that. Um, I went out to flag down the EMS folks. And, and um, so one, once I went out to make sure the EMS folks knew where, where to find, you know, which, which house was the right one, and then directing them uh, where to go for uh, medical intervention, I, I don't know if it was the, the midwife or the EMS responders who, who got uh, the baby breathing, but they, they got her breathing. But before that, I, I I did ask the midwife, do I need to baptize? Do, uh, and, and she understands, we, we've got, like I said, we've got a really awesome midwife. She knows exactly what we mean by that question in, in the mm -hmm. Catholic sense. And she said, yes. And so baptized right away. So within, uh, I, I'm i conservative. I say within two minutes, my wife said it was faster than that. Uh, honestly, time sort of warped um, after mm -hmm. the birth. Uh, and, and as soon as the the direction was call 911. It's <laughs> being able to measure time objectively kind of went out the window at that point, but um, got uh, the baby breathing again, stable heart rate, and uh, transferred her to um, neonatal intensive care unit here in town, um, which I found I found out later. This is like the regional one that that uh, they're they're the, the only the only reason you'd go anywhere else is if yes is if you're going for some you know, super specialty where it's like the one in the world where you might have to go to Boston for some kind of particular, um, specialty. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's one of the better hospitals anywhere really for this. I, I didn't realize yeah. we had that here in town, but, um, she's been there since. And, um, uh, I, I can, I can say that, um, the, the, the doc, basically, basically the, the, I can say that one of, one of the, um, diagnoses is, uh, what's called microcephaly. And a lot of a lot of babies who have this don't even they're not even born alive. Mm -hmm. um, and for people who aren't medically um, up to speed on on all the terminology, um, microcephaly is basically um, a tiny head. And, mm -hmm. and in this case, it's because the the brain wasn't fully developed. And in this case, mm -hmm. you know, obviously, you never say never, and and you know, don't don't um, quantify things until you figure it out later. Um, but the the likelihood is that she will never have the use of reason. So mm -hmm. on the one hand, this is, this is a baby who's going to have, have require special treatment for as long as she lives. And we don't know how long that could be. It could be days, weeks, could be years. We don't know. But, uh, like I was mentioning in the, in the updates in, in my emails and part of which uh, I think you, you mentioned in, in the blog post is that, um, it, it's, it, it's interesting. At least I, I find it interesting. Uh, I was trying just to try to find the right words for it. It's like, you know, obviously every every child is is a is going to be a, a cross and a challenge and a joy, all all in one. And, and it's it's you know this is how you work out your salvation when you are married and have children. Is you um, you, you you get to work out uh, 
losing all of your selfishness and, and um, becoming selfless through uh, taking care of your children. And it, it's, it's more poignant, I think, when, when you have a child who has a condition where they'll never be able to offend God. Yeah. And it's, it's, a, it's a situation it's like, well, you could look at this in, in the worldly sense of, oh my goodness, I may not be able to ever, you know, insert, fill in the blank however you want, have a normal whatever. Because Walk I'm, her down the aisle at her wedding or, yeah, things like well, I've, that. I've got no guarantee of that for any, any of my kids. I mean, who, who knows? But, but the point is that, you know, unless a miracle were to happen where, you know, she were suddenly uh, restored to complete physical and mental health, um, she's going to be a guaranteed saint. She has no ability to offend God. And in, in addition to baptism, she was she was confirmed uh, two days uh, uh, two days after she was born. So that was something where you know, because she was having um, seizures, which is another thing that's very common with this this condition of, of the uh, microcephaly, um, we didn't know if she was going to make it through the end of that day. So we we called the priest. He came in and did the the confirmation, and um, that was a big reassuring moment where basically we've hit the point where we can. She, she's about as topped off as she's capable of being in terms of sanctifying grace. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of, you know, she's not going to be able to earn any more sanctifying grace, but we we can earn grace from taking care of her. I mean, this is the same with any kind of act of charity toward anybody else. Um, so it's it's an interesting situation where, yes, she's a, a guaranteed saint, but at the same time, um, in, in the same way that the saints who are already in heaven, say, let's, let's say St. Thomas Aquinas or St. Saint, um, Saint Augustine, their writings continue to affect uh, either increases in, in grace in, in people or conversions. And so while their ability to earn uh, earn grace and, and earn uh, glory for God is done because they're in heaven, they still have, it's, it's like residual checks. If, you, if, you, if you've ever been an actor and you, you, you are completed with your movie, but people still make rentals and whatnot, you, you, your, your initial payday is done, but you can still get residuals. And, and so in that respect, the more... Uh, people, you know, care for somebody like this and unite it to, to God. You know, she can still earn, I guess, minor residuals in that respect. But um, now her, she's about as topped off as she can be. And and, and to realize that, you know, um, I've got a daughter who's, who will be in heaven, no questions asked. That that's, It's a very interesting way of looking at it. It's like, okay, I don't really care how hard it's going to be going forward. She's going to be in heaven. And she's not going to forget who did good things for her and who took care of her between now and then and explaining this to her older siblings uh, when initially I was telling him that uh, your, your baby sister will never be able to probably never be able to talk. will never be able to understand who you are. And it's going to take a lot of work to, to help out with her. And you see the faces kind of mixed like, Oh, lots of work. This doesn't sound cool. And then I mentioned there, she's also never going to be, be able to offend Jesus. She's going to go to heaven and she's going to remember exactly who did all, all the nice things for her. And she's going to pray for you. And just the, the going from eh, work to just radiant smiles. It was <laughs> really heartwarming. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like, this is really neat. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it, yeah. It, it's, it's neat to be able to, to have these positive things. I'm not going to lie. This is, there's very, it's, it's intimidating knowing that there is so much work ahead. And so many unanswered questions. We don't even know how long she's going to have to stay in the hospital. I mean, optimistically, she could come home as early as next week. Could be three weeks. It just really depends upon how she, how her conditions are from one day to the next. And and um, that's just completely in God's hands. And uh, we we try to uh, surrender our will to His on a day by day basis and um, live in accordance with that. I mean, there, there's 
for for one thing, there's nothing more you can do, but it's it's also not easy to do. I mean, if, um, if, if I'm making it sound easy, it certainly isn't. Um, well, I mean, that's just what I was thinking, just sitting here listening to you talk and listening to, you know, just a moment ago when you were talking about, you know, especially when you were telling your other children, explaining the situation. You, I mean, we could all hear the 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 joy and the happiness in your voice and think about other people who who are not who are outside of the church or who not who are not practicing the faith or who just have have you know bad bad catechesis have not had any of these things explained to them by by their clergy they have something like this happen to them and it's just absolutely devastating to them you know and and Look at look at the difference in in how something like this, an event like this, is processed and how it's dealt with. There, there's no. Um, I, I, I don't want to presume anything, but I, I presume that there's been no, you know, weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth on and on and on. This is this is so terrible. This is so horrible. I mean, I think I think you and Super Mommy are clearly pretty much on the same page that, you know, this, we, we have a living saint, you know, this is, and that, and that's the way you look, you, you process these things. I also, um, you know, in, in the early days, as you mentioned, especially when she was having the seizures and you sent, you sent the update and the picture that, that she had been confirmed. And it, it, it sounded like that it was, you know, it was touch and go and, and she, she might be, um, departing this, this earthly coil at any moment. And so, you know, I started thinking about remembering other, um, another funeral, I've, a, a funeral that I have been to of, um, another child, in fact, a, a, an infant who died at birth was alive just long enough to be baptized and then died. And, um, you don't say a requiem mass, obviously, for for a person who dies, who is an infant, who has never offended God. You say the votive mass of of the angels when when a baby dies like that. And so, you know, the church provides for all this and gives people a way to um, a, a way to to deal with it because and it isn't just you know telling people consoling stories it's 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 really the truth of the matter is that this is while it is tragic that that maybe you won't get to see a given child grow all the way to adulthood and and maybe tiny princess is never going to be is never going to have reason as you say and so on and so forth this is not an occasion that should just you know drive people into a into a catastrophic depression or anything like that in fact it's quite the opposite and the other the other thing that i was reminded of by someone with regards to when when um, infants um are baptized and then and then die having never committed any personal sin is that when um when they're buried in the cemetery, there's in a Catholic cemetery, there technically should be a separate area for these infants. And you say, oh, that's terrible. The infant should be buried with the family. And, and that's not the case precisely because we do have the assurance that these little people are in fact saints in heaven because they never committed any personal sin. And so if you ever do go to a Catholic cemetery, you should in fact go visit, find and visit the section where the infants are, and then it is entirely appropriate when you are in the cemetery to, in fact, pray to them to intercede for you um, 
because they're they're looking upon the face of God, and and what a tremendous consolation that is! It's just consolation all the way around, and I want to make sure that that folks know, you and Super Mommy, you had no indication that this was that this was coming. Is that correct? Yeah, it was just a normal pregnancy um, up to this point. Uh, we'd we'd had the the prenatal visits with the the midwife, just like the other kids previous, who were all born you know strong and healthy and ready to go tear things apart. And, and um, <laughs> there was no indication whatsoever that anything was, um, <laughs> anything was, was a mess. Uh, the, the, the first, the first obvious indication that something was different was when labor started uh, a few weeks earlier than we had expected it to. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, uh, for, for work, I hadn't even set up my laptop for, for uh, working from home because I figured I've got a couple more weeks. I, I, I've got time. So it, it, that was one of the, points of chagrin that's like I wasn't ready for this <laughs> I mean yeah <laughs> I, I wasn't I, some of the logistics weren't ready let's put it that way and it's like I, I got time it was on my schedule but you know I was out uh, with the family that that week so I, it all worked and It'll isn't that out. remarkable with all of the technology that we have and you know childbirth has become just such a such an quote unquote easygoing event for, and it is almost all of the time now that we, that we are surprised when, when a child is born with any sort of, with any sort of problems. And it's, it was, it was really surprising to me that you all hadn't had received any indication, especially with, you know, the, the notion of, of, of her microcephaly. And I, I was surprised that they hadn't seen that and picked up on that, but well, we, Hey, we don't, we don't do, um, ultrasounds. There's, there hasn't uh, been any, there hasn't been any reason for it. Um, the only, the only two we've had was the very first one because it was the first one. And then one other, because I, he was transverse. Mm. Uh, so there, there was a question of, you know, what, what's the internal mechanics in there? Is he wrapped up in the cord or what? And, and, uh, he ended up being born at home just fine. But, mm-hmm. but those are the only two where we ever had, um, a, a sonogram. And so, yeah. you know, super mommy, as you've, uh, decided to name her is she's never had any, any problems with pregnancy or giving birth. So there were, there was no indication that there was any need to have a sonogram, but it, it's, it's also, I guess, worth considering that, um, I guess in a way it's, it's a blessing we didn't because that would have freaked her out. And, 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 um, because you, you're, you'll be able to pick up on, on things like head size, uh, relative to the rest of the body and in a sonogram, Mm-hmm. And depending upon who's doing it and who, who's doing the interpretation, they're going to start saying, well, you've only got X number of days left if you if you want to terminate the pregnancy uh, based on this. Yeah. And, and that's, that's something else to think about too is um, in the eyes of the world, this is, this is somebody who has no value, who, who, who's never going to be, con- be able to contribute anything. But again, you're looking with the eyes of the world at this point. Uh, I, I mentioned in in uh, one of my updates that that uh, and I, I mentioned earlier in this podcast that the, the hospital she's in right now is is one of the regional places to be if if you are a needle, neonatal expert this is the, this is the hospital you want to work in uh, the, mm-hmm. the doctors and and uh, staff there have got brains big enough they need two wheelbarrows to cart them around I mean really <laughs> big uh, smart people I mean mm-hmm. in between the ears I mean and for them to be reduced to saying I don't know I've never seen this before. She's constantly throwing riddles and puzzles at us. We can't figure out. I mean, it takes a, it takes a, a a doctor among super smart doctors to reduce somebody else to to uh, being confused. But <laughs> our little girl's done that. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. it's it's and and also just the the realization that um, uh, I, 
I, I, I had the line in there in one of my emails that that she was awaking in me like a, a capacity for love that I didn't know I had before. And and it I will never be the same after after now after after mm-hmm. her being born because you know it, it's it, it kind of warps you once once and I mean that in a good sense. I mean that my my ability to appreciate not just her but the rest of my children, all the graces I've been given. How dare anybody say that she had no value to anyone in the world? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I'm glad you've brought this up because there's another situation now going on in the UK. There's another little baby over in the in the evil clutches of the National Health Service, which is the social the huge socialized medicine bureaucracy over in the UK. And, you know, it's it's kind of a similar situation. They're trying to, he's, he's older. I think he's now, I think he's almost two years old, but there's something wrong with him. They can't, they can't figure out what it is. And the truth is, is that they're just not even really terribly interested in trying to diagnose what's wrong with this little guy. I believe his name is Alfie. And the parents are like, okay. Let, let us take him, let us medevac him and either take him to the States or take him to Italy. They've been trying to petition the Vatican. Let us come. And everybody's like, well, sure, if you come, we'll, we'll, we'll see what we can do. We'll, we'll do some tests. The National Health Service, because it's just this evil, evil, um, power hungry entity. And, and really, well, I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. Um, they won't let him go. They, they won't let the parents take the little boy. And what it all revolves around is that they want him dead. Um, they have decided that th- that is the NHS. They want him dead. They've decided, like you said, that his, his life, quote unquote, has no value, that he's, quote unquote, better off dead, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so they, the National Health Service is trying, trying to force the death of this child they refuse. They they want to take him off of whatever life support um, uh, machines he's on, and they just they don't they aren't interested in saving his life. Now, when your daughter was born, now obviously the the former U.S. is moving towards this socialistic medicine thing, but it it isn't nearly as far gone as the U.K. obviously is, and and other countries around the world that do have full blown full blown socialist medicine. Um, when your daughter's born, there's there's absolutely no question by anyone that okay, we're taking her by ambulance. We're going straight to this the, to the best hospital in the entire region. She's going into the neonatal intensive care unit. Everybody is immediately concerned with trying to diagnose what's going on here. And they're still doing that. If I understand it correctly, you're still waiting for tests to come back on, you know, chromosomal profiles and things like this, aggressively trying to figure out and keep very much keep alive and get to the point where she can even go home. Um, Your daughter, whereas you have to understand folks that when you get into these socialist medicine, uh, paradigms they look at a child and if if the child has no capacity to to ever add to the tax base basically which your your daughter probably will never contribute to the tax base then they look at that they basically are running actuarial tables off of all of this and if if the person doesn't have specific 
economic potential to add to the tax base, then the, the life is considered is considered no longer worth living. And this this doesn't even this doesn't apply just exclusively, obviously, to small children. It also applies to adults. It applies to obviously people who are elderly. Um, and who are diagnosed with some sort of a terminal disease or something like that. It could be and, somebody who's not elderly who thought they were going to make the MBA and washed out of college, and now they have no skills, no training to do anything. And I'm making a, a generalization and, and uh, an extreme one at that. Somebody's ability to add to the tax base at that point in time, and we made the comment in the last show for, uh, in, in, in a very different context about you know, dehumanizing people. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, once once you, or, or no, not de- dehumanizing, but equating them with animals, and once you do that, then you know what's the rules for eliminating animals from the herd? The ones Culling who can't the keep herd. up, those yep. who can't uh, produce or make it stronger, even if there's nothing technically wrong, just runts, get rid of them. Yeah. So yep. if you're a tax runt, why are we keeping you around? You're going to end up being a net draw on on the tax base. Um, if that's the criterion, I mean, you're not even an animal at that point. You're just a number and your number yeah. is too low. Well, then we're going to pull you from pull your card at that point. Exactly. And so what's very interesting to me is that I, I had occasion a while back to kind of um, know somebody who was in the clutches of this national NHS national health system deal in the UK. And it's, I'm glad that you brought that point up because the, the situation that I was familiar with, the person in question was grievously ill and was dying was, I mean, obviously clearly dying of some sort of a a brain malady. And, um, we're talking about a young middle-aged person, but Apparently, the NHS looked at this person's, um, you know, situation, uh, home situation, work situation, et cetera, et cetera, ran the numbers to the actuarial tables and apparently decided that this person needed to be culled, that they were ultimately just going to be um, a liability on on the books of of the UK that this person was just was, you know, within X number of years was going to be, you know, sucking a pension, um, would be sucking more resources out of the NHS as all people do as they age and all people, almost all people need more medicine and and so on and so forth. And so there, there was a near total refusal by the National Health Service to even diagnose this person. And it was obvious. It was, it, was, it was clear as a bell that this person was being passively euthanized. And again, like I said, we're talking about a person who's in young middle age, but according to the numbers, needed to be called from the herd because they were never they were never going to be a sufficient uh, contributor to the tax base. In fact, they would probably be very much a net liability from that point forward. And so, the NHS clearly decided to cull this person and passively euthanize them just by by not treating them. Uh, not diagnosing, um, k- keep saying, oh, oh, everything's fine, you know, just bed rest, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, there's a group of us watching this and, you know, screaming and yelling and saying, what in the hell is going on here? What are you talking about? There's nothing wrong. Y- you have to you have to seek a diagnosis. If you're not seeking a diagnosis, then what you've done is you've decided that the person is terminally ill 
and is in at that point in palliative care. Rule number one, if something's wrong with a person, you have to diagnose what the problem is. And if you're not taking any steps to diagnose, then what you're doing is you're basically resigned to the person being terminally ill and you're just waiting it out for them to die. So, you know, you're screaming and yelling, do something, do something, do something, and nothing's getting done. And I, you know, I was talking to um, some other acquaintances who were, who were from the UK and kind of discussing this whole thing. And, you know, my question is, is why is this being tolerated? Why is, why is this being put up with? And it was a very interesting thing that I was told. And that is that in the UK, which is an almost completely post-Christian society, <laughs> wait for this, this is a fascinating sociological point, the, the religion, quote unquote, with a lowercase r, that has replaced the church and, you know, and, and you know, not even the church now because it's been 500 years since Henry VIII and all that, since that split. But what is re- what has replaced even a semblance of Christianity and the quote unquote Church of England is the National Health Service, that the National Health Service is basically the new neo-pagan religion of the UK. And so you know, doctors and bureaucrats within the NHS are kind of like the equivalent of the new clergy. And whatever they say goes, and the NHS it itself is like is like the church and or even in a sense, God. And whatever they say goes, and if the doctors and bureaucrats at the NHS say that there's nothing wrong with you and you need to go home and have bed rest, then that's the law, that's it, period. And people people in the UK are so brainwashed into this and are so on board with this replacement religion in a sense of worshiping the socialized medicine paradigm that even when the you know their own socialized medicine paradigm is actively killing them or actively killing their loved ones they won't say anything they won't do anything they'll just nod their heads and go along with this because it's the new religion and i thought that was an absolutely fascinating critique and a point and it, it goes to show how um you know the heart of man is always desiring some sort of a, a religious paradigm and when and when it's something other than god who fills that you can see how completely disordered things become and just like overnight in terms of um sociologically just within a few years you can go from a christian society to this euthanasia horror and um that's that's what's coming it's what's coming to the former united states like i said we're not nearly as far along um but it's coming and so you need to start bracing for this and thinking about this that this whole notion of passive euthanasia and submitting to this i mean we saw the beginnings of it with obamacare obamacare was was on the road to becoming this kind of replacement religion and then thanks be to god it seems like that process has been slowed down derailed to to at least some extent but don't kid yourselves i mean the the culture and at large is still generally moving in that direction well, wouldn't the larger religion here, the replacement religion, be science itself and medicine being one of the sciences? Yes, but I think um, 
if you're going to make, if you're going to continue the analogy, you know how the church is visible, and that's one of the that's one of the attributes of the church is that it is visible. Um, well, I the, think the people who call themselves climate scientists are visible too. Yeah, but I think I think that you know you've got hospitals, you have doctors, um, you know you have these physical buildings, big looming structures, people wearing a certain uniform. You know, I mean, you can take all of these analogies, and um, and even to to a certain extent, you know, with the use of technology that we have now, pharmaceuticals, there's you you can even say that like for example, when someone is cured of cancer or something like that, that the neo-pagans out in the world almost kind of view that as a quote unquote miraculous occurrence or something like that. So if you just taking this analogy and moving it forward, um, relative to the church. I just I just thought it was a really interesting analogy to make and it does it does actually explain a lot and why the people in the UK and the UK is kind of the worst but in other socialized medicine paradigms other countries that people are just willing to to literally literally lay down and die Well if you don't understand what the purpose and meaning of and and goal destination of life is if I can say five things in a row that mean the same thing <laughs> <laughs> uh, then, then, yeah. What? Why not? And 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 if you think you're just an animal and soul annihilation hereafter, mm-hmm. and you've got no reason to expect um, any improvement in your condition, why not? But well, and suffering. We've also had this from. Uh as you call him, what do you call him? The junior bishop and wife. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing a lot of study of, in the last year and a half uh, about. Um, uh, of Roman history, and and there's a period when with, during the Tetrarchy where you had the, the the senior Augustus and junior Augustus. We haven't gotten to the point where there's four bishops in white, like they had four emperors of, of Rome at one point in time. But uh, that's that's where the the idea came to mind. Yes, the the senior and junior bishop in white. Well, there you go. Bergoglio just recently, you know, someone asked. He was going off about uh, about suffering again, and how there's there's no there's no explanation. Well, of course, if you have if you if if the end of man, if the telos of man in your mind is incorrect and the telos of man is ultimately basically just soul annihilation, then yeah, suffering suffering serves no purpose. And so the moment you're diagnosed with cancer, why don't you just go ahead and kill yourself, save everybody the money, save yourself the suffering of, of cancer or cancer treatment, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, there's no way to reconcile human suffering if if your if your um, teleology, your notion of what the the end of human life is, and that's what we're seeing, of course, with Bergoglio, because he, like we've talked about before, it's hard to even argue that he's Catholic at this point. So yeah, it's uh, it's it. None of this is is terribly surprising. There's no way to to explain suffering. Um, and then he did the thing a few days ago with the little kid, the staged question where the little kid asked about where's, where's the soul of my atheist father? And he, he said, well, he was a good man. So he's, he's in heaven. Well, <laughs> when that, that, well, that's the next episode. Let's call that the next episode because that's a whole nother tangent. But <sighs> I was going to ask, was there any news? I haven't been paying attention. <laughs> there was, I mean, it's just more, it's, it was kind of just more the same, more, Bergolian arch heresy in in kind of the same vein. It, it, there's not been the um, the declaration that hell doesn't exist for the three days of the Triduum or anything like that. It's just been more of the his Lutheran Pelagian stuff. And 
yeah, we can, we'll probably talk about it on the next episode, but like, because as we've said, when he says stuff like that, it's just point points of departure for us to, to talk about the truth and for people to think about the truth and hear the truth. So in a certain sense, you have to talk about it because that's what, that's what kind of undoes the damage. But I'm but, not. I'm not sure what else else is going on in the world. I mean, I, I see that uh, we were doing something in Syria, which blew over amazingly quickly, given mm. the fact that we apparently did some kind of military action over there. Um, I don't know to the to the extent of it following news at all. It, it's it's computer news because that's that's my world uh, on, on, during during normal times. So. Yeah, there was I have that, not been following and much. What else, there's a lot of this. I can't even follow this. Trump, FBI, Department of Justice, who's who's out to get Trump, who's, I mean, I, it, it's all crazy. I can't, I literally cannot keep track of this thing, but um, there's been some news about, about all that goings on, and, um, oh, there's been quite a bit of news about um, Trump with his payoffs to um, women that he has fornicated with in the past. And that's, they're dredging stuff up like that. So I'm I'm surprised that all didn't come out earlier, but then again, it probably was known and and people were sitting on it to uh, stagger the release to make it, make it just sound really bad. I don't know. Politics is unsavory business. Well, to my mind, it's one of those things that was just so glaringly obvious. I mean, of course this guy was, of course he was. Of course he was fornicating with women. Of course, um, I, I I don't see why anybody. It, it, and in fact, I I do see I do see people who built Trump up, and this is kind of what I've been warning people about: building him up into something that he's not. He's not Hillary Clinton. Yay, yay. We're all on the same page with that. But he's no moral paragon, and that's that's obvious. It's glaringly obvious of course he was fornicating with women and i've said it in writing and i'll say it here on the podcast brace yourselves folks if you're one of these people who built him up as you know a, a morally a morally uh righteous man in your mind in order to you know justify or or console yourself or or whatever brace yourself because the notion that he's he was fornicating with all of these women the notion that none of those women ever got pregnant and that no abortions were ever paid for i mean that seems i'm it it just seems absolutely beyond almost the realm of possibility knowing the level of promiscuity and um i think it both of the women or all three of the women have have said that when they were fornicating with him that they didn't you know prophylactics were not being used Pres- presumably these women many of them were were porn stars were of course um chemically sterilized and, and on the pill and so forth but why wouldn't there be women of that of that low moral character who wouldn't who wouldn't view getting pregnant by Trump as a you know a million dollar plus payday? Of course, it would be a million dollar plus payday. And given that, is it is it um, unreasonable to assume or expect that a person of such behavior and such low moral character would have gotten a woman pregnant and then? given her a payoff, given her, you know, a a mid six figure payoff, but contingent on the fact that she have an abortion if she was pregnant in order to save the, the seven figure 
payout later on. Well, I'm not I'm not saying that I have absolute knowledge that this happened, but it would be it would be foolish to not at least acknowledge that this that that, that scenario is is likely. It's it's highly likely, in well, fact. I remember he was an honored guest at um, Chelsea Clinton's uh, wedding. Uh, he, other uh, way around, the Clintons sat in the front row of his quote-unquote wedding to Melania. Wasn't it both? Was it both? I, maybe, I don't know. I may be wrong on the Chelsea part. You're right. It was it, The Clintons were honored guests at his um, wedding, if it was a wedding. Um, yeah. And also, I, I don't know why I forgot this, probably because I, I, it's one of these things I've rolled my eyes at. Even though, I, even though this is a quote I've only heard recently, apparently this has been known, uh, he made the comment that his personal Vietnam was avoiding STDs in the 70s. So yeah, this is not exactly yeah. a moral person. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and ascribing that to him is just a huge, huge, huge mistake. And so, well, you know. He said it himself, though. Well, yeah. I mean, ascri- ascribing morality on, on, you know, moral rectitude to him is, is a huge mistake. And if he, oh, they've got him on tape. I mean, right before, right before the election, um, there was a tape of him saying just incredibly crude things to some uh, Hollywood reporter guy about, you know, grabbing, grabbing women in, in a certain anatomical region and all that. And you can go and listen and listen to it. And it's obviously him. It's clearly him. It's his voice. And he's saying these things and he's saying these things that, that any decent man would just never, ever, ever say. And, you know, I got a lot of blowback when I, when I made a blog post about that and people's, people trying to defend him, people in the Trump camp saying, well, you know, all men, all men think and speak that way. And, and that really makes me angry because no, that is a lie. Not all men do more and more and more in this society do, but not all men do. Please do not, um, you know, paint with that broad of a brush. It's, it's, the word offensive is so overused and and so played out now, but that that is well and truly offensive to say that all men think like that. I was in the enlisted Navy and we didn't talk. There were a few who talked like that, but that was Mm -hmm. not the norm. Yeah. Yep. And there, there are still, believe it or not, there are still decent men in this world. Um, Now, obviously, as, as a person who has to go out and live in the world, and especially if you're younger, the younger you are, the worse it is. To a certain extent, you can't be a Pollyanna and you have to have your guard up and you do have to understand that this society is just going down the drain and that, yes, there are a lot of men who do, who are consuming pornography, fornicating, so on and so forth. And yes, they do think and they do speak that way, especially when women are out of earshot. Of course, there are lots and lots of men like that. But not all. It, what people are trying to do in order to justify the behavior of people that they that they are politically in favor of, let's say, or just on whatever quote unquote team, um, in order to justify that sort of behavior, what they then have to do is take the entirety of, of, of the human race and all men down to that level and say, all men are like this. Therefore, it all cancels itself out. And so it doesn't matter. And we shouldn't we shouldn't read anything into that because it's it's a completely universal condition to talk to talk that way, to think that way, to live your life that way, to fornicate and so forth. Um, And that that is a lie. That is not true. And I'll defend I'll defend 
the male of the species to my to my dying breath. Not all men are like that. And not all women are like that, but there certainly are some as well. And unfortunately, in this age of equality, mm-hmm. um, the 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 gentle, the 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 what was the term? The the, the fairer sex. Um, yeah, they, they're they get pretty rude at times too. Indeed, absolutely, yep. And it's it's like you said, it's a function of as the. As the culture descends, that's one of the things you see is a parabolic increase in that sort of behavior, not only in men, but women trying to, quote unquote, catch up to be equal. Exactly. Um, So just fight it. Stay away from it. Get the TV out of the house. Don't expose the children to it and set a good example and only only associate with good people and when you do have to you know deal with paradigms where you're looking at at people like Trump and so forth i think it's really important to just be honest you know be honest with yourself about who these people are what they're doing and don't lie to yourself and don't don't try to prop people up um i think the technical word for this is positive positivism don't don't try to um inflate people into something that they're not put not your your trust in in princes <laughs> put not your trust in men you know men in terms of of the human race in total i was gonna say i think we got off on this tangent by me saying that i wasn't following news and curious if anything happened and coming full circle something just occurred to me it's like so let's take the example of a uh, new york billionaire who started off with enough money should have been almost a trillionaire by now if he was actually smart who's now the mm-hmm. president. Um, nobody probably is making the, the, the question about him. What's the value of his life? And how many people has he led to heaven? How many people has he humbled? How many people has he uh, affected in, in a positive manner? And I, I, this is a phrase that I know we've talked about in the past. And, and uh, I was going to bring it up uh, in the last episode, I think, but I forget what context it was. It's, it's, it goes along with our earlier discussion about my daughter Although this, the way I'm, what I'm going to say isn't directed at my daughter or, or in a reference to her, but I, I've made the comment before that, um, with regard to myself, I wish I was as smart as a retard. And the, and the, the phrase I'm, what I mean by that is you look at people with down syndrome and they are the most positive, uplifting humans you're ever going to encounter. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's hard to be around them and not smile and not have a positive, you know, outlook on life because yeah. they are just nothing but positivity. And if you are a, you know, if, if I, if I may uh, flatter my own ego and say I'm slightly above average uh, intelligence, but my effect of the way I use it is to be cynical and, and um, to make people feel less of themselves as a result, then who's really the better person here? Right. Um, exactly. And, and getting and, and tying that back into Trump or just anybody in, in modern society. What's what's the value of somebody to society? Well, if you if you bring people up, that's a better that's a better uh, attribute to have around. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people would say I'd rather be poor and happy than rich and, 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 and uh, miserable. As a country, we're really rich enough that we can waste a trillion dollars on an airplane that will never work. And, and, um, I'm talking about the F 35, not something else. And, and, um, but are we happy as opposed to countries in in what we call the third world who they don't have a lot materially, but they're happy. Mm -hmm. 
exactly. Where, what are our priorities here? We, we, well, we, we our, don't, they're I'm, material. It's materialism. Yeah. You, you know? It, it's lack of understanding what a human being is and what the purpose of a human being is. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, there's the whole notion that, you know, we fought the Cold War and we were, we fought against communism and so forth. But I mean, really, to a certain extent, we've descended into, into a level of materialism and view and holding human life just so incredibly cheap that we're, we're almost caught up to the Soviet paradigm, to the red Chinese paradigm, um, to the Khmer Rouge and all of that. I mean, where, where human life is just becoming cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And we are sprinting towards basically parody with these, militantly atheistic 100% materialistic regimes and political systems and you know not to as as we were talking about in the last last podcast stale big max and all that but that this is clearly where um bergoglio's anti-pope francis's mindset is complete materialism everything is material and as we were talking about before you know the end of man is just uh, he he that's so that's so far out of his mind the best he can come up with is soul annihilation only the only thing that matters is material here in the world and that's a function you know when you have you have the american culture which which allegedly was supposed to be fighting all of that um if you take the christianity out of the american culture oh my gosh the 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 capacity for it to just turn on its heel and descend into complete and total materialism and holding human life to be worth less than nothing that that transformation is taking place way faster than even the communist revolutions did i mean the, the timeline for how quick this is all moving in our society it seems to me is much 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 faster well, did we defeat Russia in the Cold War or did, did they decide to, to stop putting up a fake front because they realized we had come around to their perspective? Indeed, indeed. That's, oh, if, if this isn't the, the run up to the, to the big show and this isn't the end of the world, then centuries from now, oh, yes, what I would, what I would do to be a, a fly on the wall to look down at the, at the serious historian, say, 200 years from now and see how it is that they parse and how they delineate the, the events in, in Western civilization over, let's say, the last 100, 150 years or so, but, but most particularly over the last 100 years um, since the ascent of, of, of communism and so forth, um, and see how they parse all of that and what exactly did happen. Did, did Reagan and, and, and JP2, did they defeat communism or did, did communism just retrench and then come back out wearing different uniforms. And I think it's getting, it's becoming clearer and clearer and clearer that um, it was Khrushchev, wasn't it, who said to, did he say to Kennedy that your grandchildren will live under communism? And it's, it's getting more and more and more difficult to make the argument that Khrushchev hasn't been proved to, to be correct when he said that, that yes, indeed, the grandchildren of the people in the middle of the 
of the 20th century basically live under a a militantly atheistic, materialistic regime that is just careening towards um, certainly certainly Marxism, um, if not full blown communism. You know, there you'll see on Drudge every now and again that someone will take some um, some survey of undergrads on a college campus and and more than 50% of them declare that they want communism, that they want to live under communism and things like just stunning things like that. So yeah, I think, uh, history, history will show that, that the turning point in all of this, it, it wasn't the defeat of communism in 89 or 90 or whatever you want to call it. It wasn't the fall of the, of the Soviet Union. It was just a retrench, rebrand, change the uniform, put a different sign outside the front, the front door, and it's the same damn thing. And it's, be, and it's been wildly successful. Or it was just the metamorphosis. I mean, the, as it was from the, from the October Revolution in 1917 through 1989, and the um, the polarization between East and West that was just the that was the dialectic that needed to be put in place to come up, come up with the synthesis of the new communism. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, the one it's, world order. Yeah, it's, it's not like we're moving toward the the reign of the social kingship of Jesus Christ, which you know for for Catholics, if you study uh, Christian or Catholic social doctrine, that's uh, ideally what we're we're supposed to be uh, aiming for. And um, there haven't been many politicians who have been elected and who weren't killed, who actually believe in the social kingship of Christ. I mean, uh, Gabriel Moreno and, and um, was it Ecuador or Colombia? Uh, one or the other. He was the president. I think it was Colombia. He was the president of, of, of Colombia. He uh, consecrated the, the country to the sacred heart. He was devoted to uh, enshrining Jesus Christ as the king and, 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 and making him the king of the constitution. I think it was even done in law and he was killed by Masons. And this was, yeah, they, they admit that's, it. As I was just going to say, the Freemasons would not put up with that. No. no. Yeah. I mean, Kennedy, yeah, I mean, Kennedy it, was killed because he wanted to take the money away from the federal reserve, allegedly, but allegedly. Um, yeah, allegedly who knows what really happened there. But, um, <laughs> Moreno is, is, is legitimately a, a, a martyr for the faith. Well, I mean, and if you think about it, you know, the, the the standard, what you're either moving towards or moving away from, f- full stop, is the social kingship of Jesus Christ. That That is the standard. Nothing else is the standard. You're either moving towards that or you're moving away from that. And so it, it's obvious if you think about it in those terms and you set the mark and you set the the you know you set the metric at the correct point and you and you have the correct metric, it's obvious that our society is sprinting away, 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 away from that at, at a dead, as fast as you can go full out sprint. And so I, that kind of puts a, puts a new gloss on it. And you, you know, you brought up the Egalian, um, dialectic, um, thesis, antithesis, and then what what we're supposed to believe is that the the answer is somewhere in the middle. It's the synthesis between the two, and and that is just fundamentally incorrect. 
the thesis, if, if, you'll, if you'll name it that, of the social kingship of Christ is where we need to go. And so, quote unquote, extremism is the answer. It's the only answer. And you, the, the further we get away from that, the more extreme that the truth, the truth becomes and the more of a temptation it is and the more pressure there is upon everyone in the macro sense and in the daily micro sense. There's more and more pressure to move away, to compromise. Well, we have to find the happy middle in all this. And it becomes more and more and more difficult to remain in this state of holy intransigence and say, no, I am not going to come off of this. I'm not going to come off the truth. Two plus two equals four. There will be no walking it back. There will be no compromising. I will not come off of two plus two equals four. Even, even, an epsilon, even epsilon, I will not come off of it. You have to cling to that, and at which is by definition at the extreme. And so that's that is the challenge I think for for all of us. And I think whenever I think about this idea, I'm reminded of our of our Lord's words: "When I return, will I find any faith on earth?" Because I think a lot of it is a function of this this intense intense temptation to compromise and to come off of the quote-unquote extremist position, which is just simply the truth. Right. Um, yeah. That, and, and if we can get to the point where we all agree on the, the social kingship of Christ, or to put it in Augustinian terms, the city of God versus the city mm-hmm. of man, it's not like it's going to be you know magically all better at that point. Um, I, I mentioned that I've been doing a lot of studying of the Roman Empire, and after the after Constantine rose to power and suddenly not only Christianity is legal in the empire, but it becomes the official state religion at some point. Now you have a whole new set of problems. We don't have to, we're not worrying about the emperors persecuting Christians. We now have the problem of the Christians persecuting each other. <laughs> the right. Nice, the Nicaeans <laughs> versus the, versus the, uh, the Arians. And it's, you know, the, there will always be the, the, the quest for orthodoxy. So, you know, and I, and I bring this up to counter the, 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 the phraseology used of, you know, radicalism or, or extremism being, being the right way. I really hate to quote Chesterton because I think he says in a thousand words, what could have been said in eight, but <laughs> he, he does have the, the, a great quote in, in orthodoxy that the, the, the quest is really to stay in the middle, to not go too far to the right, too far to the left. And that doesn't matter what the political dynamic is, whether it's, you know, modern life as we know it right now, or some idealized future where we all agree that Jesus Christ is king, but we don't know how the right way to do it is. Even in the Middle Ages, I mean, questions of, do we go tear down every every pagan temple and, and synagogue, or do we let them uh, stand and, and just try to convert them through example and preaching? That was, you know, honestly, if we can get back to that as the biggest um, oh, item man. to debate, that would, that'd be so awesome. But, that would. <laughs> but it, it, the, the point being is that... It, it, <laughs> It's never going to end as long as there are human beings. Um, I, I posted a comment on Twitter uh, in, in contradiction to something I said on a previous podcast that we, we all run Homo sapien 1.0 as a, as, a, as a operating system, which is a reference to somebody at Microsoft who who had made a comment about the way the human mind works. And, and this had to do with typesetting and, and whatnot. In, in, in the larger context and, and thinking about it, I was like, no, actually we're running 1.1 and it was the, the point release is a failed upgrade that Adam tried to try to achieve in, in, in assimilating the knowledge of God. So as long as human beings have original sin, we're doesn't matter how good the situation is. doesn't matter how bad the situation is. 
we're always going to have problems and there will always be the eternal quest for, for trying to decide between the extremes to the left and to the right. And, um, in terms of movie references, a man for all seasons, there's a great scene in there where, um, the, the character playing St. Thomas More is explaining to his daughter that, that the quest is that, that the purpose of man, why God made man is to work out his salvation and, and muddling it through in his mind and, and to, to rationalize it through. And whereas the angels have pure splendor of intellect and the, the animals and, and the plants are just pure simplicity. Man is meant to try to work this out in the muddle of his mind. That's that's his purpose in creation, and that's that's his particular splendor. If he won't, if he doesn't give up. So, mm-hmm. and if you if you want to end up in the right camp, uh, to refer back to Saint Augustine, if you want to end up in the city of God, even if you're confused and don't know which way is the right way, if you really want to know the right way, God will show you the way. Even if He has to work a miracle to get you there. If you are of good faith and you don't quit, you'll get yes. there. And that's a, that's a prayer th- that is always answered. You can be assured that if you ask God, show me the way, show me how to get to you, he will answer that prayer every time. Absolutely. And there, there are lots of souls who the world would consider useless who, um, who will help you get there. Indeed. Indeed. Well, um... I think I think we should wrap it up here. Um, I just I want to thank you for your time. Um, I've really been looking forward to this, and I know I know the listenership and the readership has been looking forward to hearing from you too over the last couple weeks, and just really appreciate your insights. And you know, keep keep track and and as we move forward in this process, and and hopefully when Tiny Princess comes home and you know other things happen, why keep us abreast and and let us let us share in whatever way we can with um, some of these graces that are showering down upon you and your family and just be assured of our love and our prayers to you and to Super Mommy and the rest of your family and of course to Tiny Princess herself. We're we're um we're, we're all behind you and I believe didn't we we were discussing in the warm up that um one of our one of our Barnhart benefactor mass priests has has offered the holy sacrifice specifically by name for for you and your family. So, yes, and and yeah. um I'm I'm greatly appreciative of that and uh, like you mentioned earlier that uh, some of the emails have been coming into the podcast address Apparently, you're getting a lot more than, than I'm seeing there, but there have been a few that have come straight to uh, a super nerd address, and I wanted to address specifically one um, very early on. Somebody said, hey, do, do we need to set up a, a GoFundMe or something like that? It's like, no, I've, I've got medical insurance. I mean, the, the, the worst I'm going to be out here is just the annual deductible for this, which I, I can absorb that at this point in time. That, that's, that's no big deal. That said, some, some folks did make some, some generous donations anyway. Um, uh, it you're free to do that if you want to, but it's, it's, it's not necessary. Uh, but I, I do, I will thank you by name here in a second when we do the official wrap up or are we going to start that now? Uh, we can start it now. I think that's a good segue. Okay. Well, the email address for the podcast is podcast at barnhart.biz. And that's where you can send comments, feedback, suggestions about the podcast or anything you want to the, both Anne and me to say. Um, masses for Anne's benefactors. Uh, if you're hearing this podcast and the day ends in Y, then there was a mass offered for you today by mm-hmm. one of the priests. And of course, there's also the annual, not annual, the weekly uh, recommend mm. mass for everyone who died in the previous week. Please join your intentions with these uh, masses which are being offered. And, um, and definitely pray for the priests as well. They're not making any any um, friends in, in the <laughs> among, among the haters of Christianity. Let's put it that way. Uh, Indeed. The, 
The Barnhard Podcast is a production of Super Nerd Media. If you found something of value in this uh, or previous episodes and would like to return some value, you can go to supernerdmedia.com slash donate and find details for that. And I do want to specifically thank um, several people who donated. It, this, it's a slightly longer list than usual, both because of what's been going on uh, lately and also that it's just simply been a couple of weeks. But uh, Blaine, John, Michael, Stephen, um, Beverly, JPF, Terry, Charles, and Joel, thank you very much. And um, like I said, this it's very humbling. Um, there's It's not like I'm in financial need in terms of, of medical bills crushing me at this point in time. Um when she comes home, I don't know. There, there may be something else there. I don't know. We, we, there, there are still a lot of, a lot of questions we, we have to answer at this point in time. But um, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. Um, I'll let you talk about this at Matthew 1720 Initiative. Yep. Um, thank you for mentioning, mentioning the daily masses for all benefactors. Um, Matthew 1720 intention is, you know, some sort of fasting twice a week. I'm doing Tuesdays and Fridays generally. Um, and that is for the way I phrase it. My intention is that Bergoglio be publicly acknowledged and removed as anti-pope and the entire thing be nullified. That Ratzinger be publicly acknowledged as having been the one and only pope for lo these last five years now. That Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace and achieve the beatific vision. And that Ratzinger repent, die in a state of grace and achieve the beatific vision. Um, feel free to modify that as your conscience um, as your conscience uh, dictates, but that's that's what my Matthew seventeen twenty intention is, and I think we all agree that we want to pray earnestly for a resolution of this incredibly dire situation in the church. And remember, God only answers prayers which are actually prayed, so we have to actually ask Him to do these things. Um, and again, th- many, 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 many thanks to all of my benefactors as well. As always, eternally grateful. Um, and um, be assured of all of our prayers. And once again, Super Nerd, please, please give our love to Super Mommy and give give Tiny Princess a kiss from all of us. Will do. Absolutely will do. Until next time, I am Super Nerd. And I'm Anne. Thanks, guys. God bless. <laughs>